Well, hey there, folks, and welcome to episode number 23 of the Just Asia podcast. My name is Kevin O'Shea. I am a Canadian who has been living and working in Asia for 21 years now. And each week I bring to you people who are doing really amazing things and have incredible stories to share from all across Asia. And this week, another episode, another fantastic conversation. This episode, I chat with Kenny Peavy. Now, he's an American who is based in Bali, Indonesia, and he is an educator at Green School Bali, that famous school you've probably heard so much about. He's in charge of the Green Camp at Green School, and also he does outdoor education and teaches other classes there. And he is someone who is very passionate about connecting children and educators around the world with the outdoors. He's someone who's passionate about connecting people with sustainable practices, and he is a force of nature on social media where he is advocating for outdoor play, outdoor education. So we have a fantastic conversation, and we're going to jump right into it, my conversation with Kenny Peavy in Bali, Indonesia. Hey folks, we're here with episode number 23 of the Just Asia podcast. And in this episode, we've got, uh, for the first time in this series, the country of Indonesia is being represented, uh, represented um, as we do have someone who is living in Bali. Uh, in this episode, I'd like to introduce you to Kenny Peavy. Kenny, thanks for coming on the podcast. Yeah, hey, good to be here and glad to chat with you. Absolutely. Now, uh, for now, of course, you you have been in a few episodes of a previous podcast I had called the Nature Talks podcast, um, which was all about environmental education. And this podcast is a little bit different in scope, but nonetheless, each week we we're we're definitely talking to people who are who do a lot of different things around Asia, and education sometimes is one of those things. So I, I was wondering if you could tell the Just Asia listeners a little bit about yourself and where you're from and where you're based right now. All right. Well, I'm from the States, from USA, from Georgia originally, um, someplace near Athens, Georgia. Most people have heard of the University of Georgia. And I went to school there, was born and raised there, but I've been overseas since the year 2000, so about 23 years now. Almost half my life overseas, so it's getting close to more time living overseas than, than back home. Um, Currently, I'm in Bali, Indonesia, and I'm actually 100 meters from the Green School. I live right next to the Green School in Bali, and I work there. And it's really nice because I can walk to work every morning. And uh, because we're supposed to be a more sustainable, eco-friendly school, it's nice to not really have to rely on a car or any sort of transportation like that. So it's a cool little thing to live right next to the school. Yeah, absolutely. Right now, I'm... Um, you know, I'm now a resident of Penang, Malaysia, and we moved into an apartment that is about a 10 minute walk from my school. So that's quite lovely, oh, too. And nice. um, it's insane for me. Uh, first time in my life, you know, seeing monkeys all over the place, you know, as I walk to school, giant monitor lizards scurrying across the road, snakes and all kinds of other amazing wildlife um, that I'm sure you get to see as well in Bali. Yeah, it's very similar. Yeah, that's cool. So, um, you know, you just mentioned you've been in Asia for, for 20 or abroad. You've been overseas for 23 years now. Um, so there you are at the Green School, Bali. I'm, I'm just wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that kind of professional journey of yours. How did you get from Athens, around Athens, Georgia, to being at the Green School of Bali? Uh, Green School, Bali, I should say. Yeah. Well, it's, it's been a bit of a roundabout adventure, sort of a serendipity, because I originally left in the year 2000. With $8,000 in the bank and an idea to like go traveling, sort of like a lot of people, um, 
I kind of figured I could get a job teaching ESL. I had heard rumors that like, you know, if you wanted to stay, you could do that backpacker sort of thing where you could teach English on the side. And I actually never ended up doing that because when I left the States, I was already a certified and experienced math and science teacher. So I had the really roundabout uh, experience. I didn't go to a recruiting fair. Um, I just showed up in Kuala Lumpur and I was there and I started looking around at different schools and I was like, well, I could at the very least I could be a substitute teacher. And so sure enough, I walked into the International School of Kuala Lumpur, said, hey, I'm here if you need subs. And, um, you know, international schools always need subs, almost yeah. always. And basically they were able to get me a work permit because they needed a long term maternity leave sub. And so I ended up working there for two months, subbing for a lady on maternity leave, teaching biology. And then they're like, hey, we need a swim coach, if you can do that. And so I, I basically ended up staying in Kuala Lumpur and eventually getting a job at the school across town called Montchiara International School. Okay. Um, that was full time. And my first official overseas job was actually ESL. And it was a really nice job because at the time I wasn't qualified. They they hired me and said, hey, if you get an ESL qualification over the summer, we'll hire you. So okay. I went to I went to Thailand, took a six week ESL certification course, came back to Kuala Lumpur, got my first overseas job at, at Mankiara. Then I ended up in uh, Bogor, Indonesia, after a couple of, week, couple of years, and then back in Kuala Lumpur at ISKL. So it's been sort of a roundabout, serendipitous journey. I've been really lucky um, that I've always managed to get jobs without having to go to like the official routes yeah, or the yeah. recruiting fairs. <laughs> so yeah, absolutely, yeah. So you've you've mm-hmm. been able to um, avoid the. Um, the traumatic events and stresses of yeah. uh, kind of fairs and the kind of traditional international school um, recruiting yeah. cycles, which um, uh, ain't no fun. I just went through right. that fall, and um, yeah, I can it's, imagine it's not getting and it gets harder once you have um, children and stuff. Once you have dependents, um, it makes uh, yeah, you become a harder commodity to to sell. These days, it seems like a lot of international yeah. schools are moving towards hiring single teachers um, as opposed to ones with families. But, you know, I think you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately. So it does make it more challenging. Um, so, you know, you have some very clear passions in life. And uh, one thing um, that I have found is that you have an ever present presence, so to speak, on social media. Um, you know, you've uh, definitely you're a very busy person on places like Twitter, on Instagram, on LinkedIn on Facebook. Um, and you know, you're always advocating, um, for connecting children and educators with the outdoors. So I was wondering if you can tell us about that passion of yours and where that came from, because uh, this is the the same reason now folks out there listening. Now I'm going to have some links below in the show notes to a couple of other um, podcast episodes I did of a different podcast with Kenny talking more in depth about those passions, but yeah. So can you tell us about your passion for connecting others with the outdoors? Yeah, so it always, you know, it always goes back to childhood. I played outdoors all my life, camping, biking, fishing, all those things that if you grow up in America, especially in the late 70s, early 80s, as I did, basically an 80s kid, you played outside. We didn't yeah. have, you know, screens. We, did, we didn't have electronics. I remember the very first, like, Atari 
you know, with the Pong game. So that was kind of the first generation. So it, it didn't really keep us indoors. Um, we just went outside, played a lot. And I noticed that when I went overseas, and it was my first time ever living in like a big urban suburban area, Kuala Lumpur, um, a lot of kids didn't play outside. And mm. then as I got to know the, the area of like Singapore, Bangkok, Manila, Jakarta, I realized like these kids don't play outdoors. So it really sort of solidified my interest and passion to get kids outside playing so that I could get them out of the malls, out of the apartments, out of the buildings and have the sort of childhood I had, which was just like roaming free, running around, jumping bicycles, building tree huts you know, and I don't know how, if that's sort of similar to your background or your childhood. Oh, I yeah, absolutely. Real- I mean, I, I think we're probably around similar age. I mean, I am a child of the 80s. Um, I recently discovered um, uh, a podcast called the 80s Podcast, which has been bringing me down memory lane. I love it a lot. But, yeah, no, I grew up the same way. I grew up in, in, in eastern Canada, Nova Scotia, and I just have memories of, of building ramps with plywood, on our, with, jumping them with our bicycles, and, and, and playing outside until it was so dark. Um, all the street lamps yeah. would go off, and our, our mothers would be out yelling, or would go, come on, I should say, the opposite. The street lamps would come on, and our mothers would be yelling to us to come home. And um, Exactly. You know, it's, uh, you know, I grew up with two TV channels in Eastern Canada, yeah. the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, CTV. So it was only rare. There'd be rare moments where certain nights you would gather around the TV and stuff like that. But aside that, you know, that kind of appointment TV, those memories. Um, but aside from that, we were always outdoors. And it's interesting. I mean, I'm in, in a similar way. I've been abroad now for 21 years and I've been in Asia that whole time. And I think... Another big, another big piece too. That's really keeping a lot of kids that I see indoors, especially if their families are like Korean families. Um, that that always sticks out of my mind. Um, is that academic part? They're, the kids are yeah. just expected to stay indoors and study, study, study. Um, there's no time for that play stuff, that childhood stuff, those toys and things, because they've got to do good in school. You know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you know, you you touched on a couple things because I knew you were. You're also really passionate about nature and environmental ed, and yeah. I assumed you had a similar upbringing. Yeah, yeah. And um, when I went to do my master's degree, I just had a simple question, like, how can we get kids to really care about nature? And after you know a couple of years of researching, it comes down to very simple, let them play outside. That is the conclusion of all the research that I read nowadays, and just there's been an overwhelming amount of research now on like the benefits of play for all kinds of social, emotional, academic, cognitive, you know, you name it, playing outdoors is the way to go for kids. And now I'm also thinking adults like us, um, (laughs) we need it too. And it really became highlighted and apparent during COVID when we couldn't. And we were like kind of thinking, well, it'd be nice to go outside today. And a lot of people around the world could not do that. So it really, in a way, COVID really enhanced or double made you know helped me to double down on my whole let's get kids outdoors philosophy. Because yeah. I was like, after this is over, I'm gonna just really keep spreading that message. And so here we are, like that. I started it right around the COVID time, like a couple of years ago. Started getting more yeah active on social media. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's where you kind of popped up on my radar during that time. And I mean, I think we were, we we were unfortunately probably at that time. I know I was spending more time on screens than I ever had before because of 
of of the demands of of the of the times. You know, I was expected to teach online, as many of us were, um, instead of being outside with kids or trying to, or at least in a classroom with kids. You know, we're 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 sitting in front of our Microsoft Teams or Zoom, as are the kids in their houses. Um, but it, it's interesting um, that you know one of the things. Um, maybe I'm just kind of. Going off of my mind here, but I think of what, you know, as I would listen to the news, let's say back home in Canada, where I'm from, um, ironically enough, in places where they didn't have the harshest lockdowns, um, you know, there were some kind of positive things where I heard that bicycles were sold out across Canada. You couldn't buy bicycles because everyone was buying bicycles because they're like, well, I can't go to the mall. I can't go shopping. I can't go to the stores. I'm not allowed to be around people. So let's get some bicycles and ride around, you know, so. um, (laughs) Yeah, cool. (laughs) Interesting. Ironically enough, some now who knows where I think those bicycles now are probably parked in garages collecting dust. Um, you know, as as things have gone back to normal and the world has has gone back to normal. But um, it, it's really great for all of you guys out there listening. I'll, I'll put Kenny's links below. Go follow him on his social media, and you'll see this advocacy for getting kids outdoors, and you'll see how passionate he is. And and what I like about that too now is is seeing from even just like maybe when you first popped up on my radar, Kenny on Twitter and things like that was, um, you know, maybe you'd, you'd make a post and you'd get a couple of likes, but now when you post things, you're getting a lot more traction. More people are noticing what you're yeah. doing. I'm seeing more, po- more likes, more retweets, more, more people adding comments on LinkedIn. So it's great that you're getting noticed and you're, you're starting more conversations. Yeah, I think so. I, I've kind of learned from it as, as we all do, like refined it and found out what's a bit more popular or what people want to see or what's needed. So that's definitely helped, but you're right. It's kind of just grown. And I think that's part of the whole thing is more and more people. I've noticed a bigger interest now from like forest schools, home schools, academic schools. They're all thinking, Oh, we should get our kids outdoors. So it's yeah. definitely become a bit more popular. Absolutely. Now, you know, uh, on other episodes of the podcast, I've, I've talked to people who are based in Japan, who are based in China, um, you know, uh, South Korea. Now, you're you're a bit currently based in Bali, and it's a place I've never been, um, but you hear about it all the time in, yeah. in popular culture and this and that. So I'm, I'm curious, what is it actually like to live there, especially compared to some of the other places you've lived in Asia? Yeah, so like I said, I've lived and worked around Southeast Asia for 23 years. And I started out in Kuala Lumpur and I've lived in a town outside of Jakarta. I was traveling a lot and working a lot in Bangkok and Phuket and Chiang Mai, Singapore. So I think I've got a good feel for Southeast Asia, at least those several countries that I've worked in. And I have to say, I really do love Bali. Um, You know, they call it the Island of the Gods or Paradise or whatever, but there's definitely aspects of that that are here. And the thing is my wife is Indonesian and I speak Indonesian. So that's a big part of why I like it here. Um, mm-hmm. and I can get along pretty well speaking Bahasa Indonesia, mm-hmm. but the thing that I do like, like we live very local style. And I think, you know, every country has that. I'm assuming like in China, when you're there, they had the locals, they had the expats, they had the tourists and wherever you go, you're going to have that sort of different demographics. So I I saw that in Thailand. I've seen it in Singapore. And when you dial into the local culture and the local economy, it's usually a lot cheaper. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hello. 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 A tourist place when I want to and enjoy the tourist life for a day. 
Oh, hey there. Oh, we got a we got a bad connection. Can you hear me? Can you hear me, Kenny? Hello. hello. There we go. Okay, you're back. All right. All right. I don't know <laughs> if I froze or you froze, but it froze. Yeah, it froze. So, um, you were maybe we'll just um where you be- just just yeah. ask that same question again, and I can start over there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no problem. Um, so, well, I mean, actually, you know, I'll, I'll just where you left off. I mean, you're, you're talking some good stuff. I'm, I'm fine to edit. But you, you, right. just, you just mentioned um, um, that, you know, there's kind of like the living, the kind of local style, which is yeah. what you're doing. Um, so, you know, you, you see people who are tourists, you see people who are, who are, you know, expats here. So, yeah, can you tell me a bit more about that living local style? Yeah, so because my wife's local and we tend to go to more local places – um, we don't really or generally go to the tourist places. So, for example, if we go to a little shop or a little warung, you know, it's it's all Indonesian food. It's cheaper. It's you know definitely tastes different. It's geared for the locals. But I do enjoy the fact that I can slip in and out of both. Like I love to go down to some of the tourist spots once in a while and yeah. have a pizza or have you know some sort of different kind of you know Italian food or something and go to the beach and see some of the tourist things that's happening there, but then not living in that sort of tourist spot or living in that tourist area. So I, I like both. Um, you know, there's, there's at least two or three different economies. So like if you're a tourist and you go to the expat sort of touristy places, it's going to be more expensive. And that's one of the big things, but it will be a little bit different. Like you cannot really go to a local warong and get a burrito like it just doesn't exist. It's going to be fried rice or fried noodles or some sort of rice dish. Yeah. So there's pros and cons to both. And I, I, you know, if you're like me, I enjoy walking in between those two worlds. Like sometimes it's nice to go to a little pizza stop shack or a burrito shack down on the beach and see the tourists or go to a little seafood restaurant or something. That's really nice. But mm. then it's also nice to go to like, one of the local water owns is what they call it, or just a little shop where it's just basically, you know, local rice dishes. So that's the main difference is just, you know, if you go to the touristy areas, you're going to definitely see different types of restaurants, different types of activities, pubs, you know, things that the local villages don't really have. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It's really interesting. You know, I think back to my days, um, you know, where I lived in Korea, um, early 2000s, and where I lived, there was no no such thing as tourism where I was. You know, people just, yeah. I think at that point, that was, you know, pre-K-pop. You know, K-pop, I think, yeah. is, is an industry itself now that generates yeah. tourism. And Korean dramas and stuff like that became, yeah. I want to say, in the kind of later, like, you know, 2008, 2009. But when I was there, like 2001, too, those weren't the case. There were no tourists. So. Yeah. The foreigners you saw around, like that was it was it was in a very different world. I mean, there was we we um, and it was interesting because I was an English teacher, so I didn't make very much money. So yeah. um, you would see the people that sometimes you'd see those foreigners who were the expat packages, you know, the 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 people maybe who are working at companies like CEOs or this. But you also see the international school teachers, and yeah. I would see they they had a very different life. And then I was like with the English teachers, kind of not there, you know, kind of more on the periphery. Um, and then, you know, when I lived in Japan, I was a local hire and I lived in an area of Kobe where there were no foreigners around. And my wife is Japanese and, and we only shopped at the local shops and ate at the local restaurants and did all that local stuff. 
Um, yeah. And then, and then I had moving to China where, where we were both expats and we complete foreigner expat bubble, you know, that kind of yeah. the privileged bubble. Um, yeah. So it's, it's been very interesting seeing all these different sides of life um, across parts of Asia for me. And it's, it's neat that you get to dip your toes into, well, you live in one world, but you have the luxury of being able to kind of taste the other side if you want. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm curious now that like, um, you know, the pandemic has, you know, essentially come become a thing of the past and maybe some who argue otherwise, but really it has. I mean, life has really gone normal again, I think, throughout the yeah. world. And one of the things um, that I had mentioned to you, I sent you some some notes about this because it's it's a topic that I'm very interested in um, over tourism. Um, I yeah. was in I was in Japan uh, back in 2020. We we got caught there when the borders closed in China, where our job was, and when the, they closed the borders in Japan, and there I was. And um, I luckily was able to get a residency visa and stuff while I was there because I'm married to a, a, a Japanese national, and um, it was really fascinating to see a Japan with no tourists. And you knew that the people, the foreigners you saw there lived there and had residency cards. And when we went back in this summer to visit, oh, my God, it was insane. The numbers yeah, I bet. Insane. And now you're hearing things about, you know, like there was in the news about a Canadian teenager who carved his name in a world in a UNESCO World Heritage Temple's wall. And then you hear in, like, in Greece with the insane over tourism in Greece, people like carving their names in the Parthenon and stuff like that. Um, is is over tourism and that kind of thing something that you're seeing in Bali now? Is that a, is that an issue there? I'm wondering because it is such a famous tourist destination. Yeah. Yeah. And it, just to echo what you said, like we were here through the pandemic and it was pretty empty of tourists. And in a way, it was quite nice because a lot of the places we would go were empty. So we could basically go to like a five star hotel and have the swimming pool to ourselves. Yeah. And they were offering all these special deals like, you know, five dollars. And you can get a plate of fried rice and an iced tea and swim all day. Like they just yeah. had all these crazy deals. And that was nice. And we, because we were here, we, we went to a few places. It was also a bit eerie sometimes. Like I could never make up my mind if it was nice or if it was sad. Because yeah. like sometimes we'd go to a street and it would just be totally empty. Whereas pre COVID, it would just be packed wall to wall. So, you know, I was hoping we would reach a happy medium, but the truth is we've shot back over to where it was before the pandemic. So like, I don't know the official numbers, but what I can tell you is like the traffic is back. The people are back. The shops are open. All the sort of frustrations of too many people are back. Mm -hmm. You know, the restaurants, there's lines, the beaches are busy and crowded. So that aspect came back more mm. than I think with a vengeance more than before. Um, and like you said, you, you see all the silly things that are happening. I, uh, it's calmed down. I think they've, they've sort of cracked down on it, but for a while there, you were just reading in the papers about a tourist hiking to a sacred temple in their bikini, you know, or somebody driving a motorbike off a pier for a, a YouTube video and catching it on film you just hear all these crazy things you're like what's going on um i haven't heard of that in a while so i think that you know they cracked down on that but it did 
you know, all the all the prices shot back up to where they were before. And then, in fact, the big talk now is like how expensive the the rental properties are and things. So things have definitely gone back to okay. normal and and above normal. And there's pros and cons to that. There, you know, I can't say it's black or white. Yeah. It's nice that there's some there's some cool things that are open now that weren't open then. So that's a nice you know pro. And then the con is lots of crowded places. I think. But like we were talking about before, the benefit of sort of speaking the language and being local is you can find the really hidden sort of quiet places where they don't have restaurants with menus in English. So then you don't really find tourists. <laughs> so yeah, there's yeah. still that, you know, there's still that. <laughs> That's cool. That's cool. It's, it's interesting because, you know, in a previous episode of this podcast, I think it's coming to my mind, episode 14, where I interviewed Sean Morrissey, who um, is one of the guides who does the dark side of toll, uh, gar- dark side of soul haunted like tourist walks at night in Seoul. Uh. And a really fascinating episode. You know, he's a wealth of just um, folklore knowledge and a great storyteller with a great voice. Um, but one of the things he, he talked about that I'm sure people in Bali were suffering from, too, was, you know, he 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 relies on tourists. I mean, he is a professional guide. Yep. He's a he's a tourist guide. And when the borders close and there's no travelers, you don't make money and yeah, you can't exactly. feed your family. And that's something I think that. Although, you know, that time I said when I was in Japan, for me, it was lovely to be able to go to Kyoto and have no people and to be able to just walk up these big empty streets. But all those empty shops, all those empty restaurants, those people were hurting in a big way. Yeah, um, exactly. So that's where you yeah. see that kind of the, the both sides. You're like, oh, I love that the lack of people. But, oh, you know, on the other side, there's a lot of people are hurting because of this. Yeah, exactly. Very similar here. You know, the first let's say six months or a year, you're like, well, this is interesting. And then it just kept going. And then it got really sad because a lot of the people that were drivers, tourist guides, rafting guides, all those sort of fun things, boats, you know, boat drivers. Yeah. They didn't have any jobs because all that's what all the tourists do. They go snorkeling, they get drivers, they go to restaurants and all those things were closed for the, you know, two plus years. Yeah. Right. And Um, it was, Sad to see that. Mm. So I suppose, you know, they're back with a vengeance. And that's kind of that's a good way of putting it, because that's that is what it's like in a lot of places. Those pe- people who could not travel. I know, again, I always like to make that Japan connection because that's, you know, where I, uh, um, you know, I've got I've got the family connection there. But uh, people who wanted to go there for two or three years and they couldn't, they've been saving their pennies and they're back, you know. Yeah. Um, so, you know, to, to switch gears, you're also an author and you have written. Um, a, a storybook, a children's book. So I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about that. It's very closely connected to education and your passions. So uh, if, if you could tell us about that. And also, um, you've got another project you'd like to let us know about. Yeah, so that book is called The Box People. It's an, it's an illustrated children's book. And the main message is how we live our lives in boxes. So it's related to a lot of things we've been talking about, you know, especially if you've lived in a big urban area where you spend all your day in a apartment or a condo, condominium, then you spend the rest of your day in the office, and then on your weekends you go to the mall. You know, you're basically in the box all the time. I'm hoping now that you're in Penang that won't be the case because Penang has a lot of beautiful wildlife and places it's, to go. It's already it's amazing how my life has slowed down in a positive way since I've been nice. here. It's incredible. Nice. I mean, um yeah. I mean, there's just, in a way, one might say, there's nothing to do here. 
But yeah. in another way, there's just different things to do because yeah. um, there's no convenience store when I walk outside right now. And there's no, yeah, it's, there's jungle outside. It's neat. Nice. That's cool. <laughs> so that's what that book is about. It's about people that live in the box. You know, they, they live their life in a school or an office and then they go home to an apartment and then they, on the weekends they go to a mall. So their whole life is sort of in that box and they, they realize something's missing. So, you know, they discover nature and they realize how free, wild, fun, you know, how nature impacts them for less stress, less anxiety, more happiness, more connecting to something bigger than yourself. So that's basically that book, the box people. And what, what I'm working on next is that we're, taking that book and we're getting it translated into a couple different languages. So I'm working with a lady uh, in the Netherlands. She's gotten it translated into Dutch and I've got another lady that's translating it into Spanish. And then another lady just offered to translate it to Arabic. And I, I have an Indonesian version. So what I'm thinking is I'm going to take that basic book, update it a little bit and then add these various, uh, language translations and then i'm going to start selling it to raise funds um to send local indonesian kids to camp so that they can go to nature camp and basically the lady in the netherlands she's going to use it to raise funds to fund a school that's similar to green school like more of a nature-based uh hands-on experiential type school okay, yeah and then i'm going to use it to try and help you know fund local kids that can't afford to go to a nature camp or can't really have a camp experience to maybe have a one or two day overnight camping, you know, rafting, whatever kind of experience that they could have. So the whole idea is giving back, doing something good with your own skills and your own talents, kind of like my own personal service project, my own Mm -hmm. passion project. Um, So that's in the works. And I, I think we had a meeting the other day, we're looking at sort of an Earth Day release because something maybe around April next year, around Earth Day, and getting it started and start more of a awareness and a fundraising campaign. So the bottom line is like if you buy the book, a certain amount of the profits will go to funding these different causes that connect kids with nature. So that's something I'm kind of excited about. Fantastic. That's really cool. It's really cool. It's neat to have um, those kind of projects in our lives to 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 motivate us and 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 yeah yeah that's oh that's that's really cool that's really cool so folks again i'm i'm going to say you have no idea until you follow kenny on the social media how passionate he is about connecting kids with the outdoors and um if you listen to our episodes of, of the nature talks podcast i'll put those links below um you can really hear more about where he works at green school bali and the kind of more of a deep dive into the connections you make there um you know, I'm I'm excited now that I'm here in Penang and I'm 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 settling into my new school and there's a lot I've got to get my head wrapped around before. But I know one thing I start actually a gardening club next week. I've already got that set up um, and I've been buying supplies and stuff. So I'm looking forward to that. Going to be working with some older uh, kind of upper grades in primary school and then we'll see where that takes us. But they have a really neat um, food technology program where they do lots of cooking and they have like all these big kitchens outside and the food tech teacher is really neat. She's been at Upland School for almost 20 years. And uh, one thing she says is, um, she's constantly com- been complaining about how with, you know, we see it a lot more maybe in other parts of the world, but with inflation, food prices are really going up. It was shocking in Canada. 
um, just a few weeks, like a month ago when I was there, but um, about how the prices of food are going up. So um, she, she's been really encouraging me and wants me and I'm happy to grow a lot of food out near her kitchen to, to uh, allow all the kids to be able to use for their food tech classes. So I'm going to be going bonkers, growing things like cucumbers and tomatoes and eggplants and peppers so they can all just use it in their classes. Um, and, and there's a lot of connections that are going to be made there and it's, it's, it's fun. Um, but again, I'm I'm new to the school, so I'm not sure where all this will go. But uh, I'll be I'll be sharing that on my social media, and you'll be yeah. seeing that, Kenny. Um, yeah. So, um, you know, you've you've got you've got the the books going on there, and you know, I'm wondering just, you know, when when people want to find you online, where can they find yeah. you? Well, the two best places really are LinkedIn and Facebook. That's where I get the most sort of active response. Um, yeah. I'm I'm on Twitter and I'm on Instagram, but for some reason, I think the Facebook and the LinkedIn platforms connect with the teachers a bit more, connect with homeschooling parents a bit more. Mm. And because a lot of my post is not just photos, it, Instagram isn't the best for that. But yeah, um, those are the two. And I think if you just Google search the box people or the box people, Kenny PV, I just did it myself because um, I was looking up other authors that may have written something about the box people. And I was happy that mine popped up first, which is a nice thing to know. Like you're in this search engine optimization. Yeah. yeah, I was just, I was just literally because one one of the projects we're working on, they're like, just double check and see if there's anyone else that's using that. So I did that right before I came on with you. And I was like, the first page is like the box people, Kenny Peavy. I was like, Oh, that's nice. That's a good little uh, perk. So yeah, they can basically just research that. Or find the links, you know, I'll share with you later if you need it. Cool. And that's one of the things I'm looking forward to now that my life is slowing down a bit in a positive way is that I'm hoping um, because I'm getting outside of the box more now. Um, that's how it's slowing down. I'm hoping I've got some projects I've been meaning to, to work on for a few years. This a storybook I've been a lot of people have been encouraging me to write. It's 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 about the adventures of a beetle actually nice um, that would be nice it's, it, it's, it's a lot of fun it's uh kind of based on some stories of some i'm not sure if uh, if anyone that's listening follows me on twitter um last year there were some sagas of some large um large stag beetles i kept in my house that kept escaping um yeah. and then we would I find them that. days later in strange places and um one of them i found in my shoe he somehow got out of the apartment and was inside one of my <laughs> shoes um, but a three inch long seg beetle. So there's uh who is it? Kath Murdoch of all folks, the, the kind of queen of inquiry. She was like, that's a book, Kevin. That's a book. Nice. You're going to make nice. that happen. So um, now I've, I seem to have the time. Um, yeah. So that's great. Very cool. Um, that's awesome. I remember your stag beetle saga. I followed it. Yeah. <laughs> <I> saw it. <laughs> They're impressive. It was amazing. Um, uh, now I've got to find some more that I'm in a new country. I, I couldn't take yeah. those across borders, obviously. Um, but yeah. So Kenny, thank you so much for taking the time on a Sunday afternoon to sit down with me. I really yeah, appreciate it. And I definitely appreciate it too. Thank you so much. Well, thank you again. Yeah. And for all you folks out there listening, go check out the links I've shared. Go check out the Just Asia podcast Facebook page. I'll share a ton of links there. Um, if you're not already signed up for that, um, I'll also share links to the other podcast episodes that Kenny's been on where I've talked to him before. And go go listen to that stuff. All right. Well, um, Kenny, take care and have an awesome week. All right. Thanks a bunch. I want to thank Kenny for taking the time to stop by the Just Asia podcast. That was a fantastic conversation. As mentioned in the interview, 
you can check out the links that I'll be putting in the show notes and over on the Just Asia Podcast Facebook group. And I'll share them on Twitter as well. Um, You can check out the two episodes of the Nature Talks podcast where I sat down with Kenny. In episode number 11, we talk about outdoor education. In episode number 19, we talk about taking action. And that is an environmental education podcast that I hosted. And uh, go check it out. So those links are below if you want to kind of take a deeper dive into um, Kenny's background, his story, his experiences, and the the, the things he's passionate about and advocates for. So again, all the links will be in the show notes and also follow Kenny on his social medias. Um, He's someone who's definitely worth a follow. All right, guys. Well, that's it for this episode. Um, But of course, before we move on, I just want to let you know that I'm doing well. My family's doing well. We're settling in to life here in Malaysia on Penang Island. It's very different than anything I've been used to. It kind of brings me back to my childhood in many ways, actually, because we're living in a pretty rural area. Uh, It's a place called Batu Ferengi, which is on the kind of northwest side of the island of Penang. And there's not a lot around here. So I'm having a chance to connect with a lot of incredible nature, which I am sharing on my Twitter and on my Instagrams as well. Go check the links for that. Um, I just I really want to thank all of you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. There's a lot of podcasts out there, millions of them. And you took the time to listen to this one. And that makes me really happy and feel really good. I'm going to be really pushing forward to grow this podcast. I've got a lot of fantastic guests who are agreeing to come on and we're just coordinating times and stuff. But each week, a new episode will be coming out. And you can help us grow, of course, by joining our Facebook group. The link is below. And by following me on social media, on Instagram at jlandkev, on Twitter at madfromaple. And of course, please help the podcast grow by sharing. When I tweet something out, please retweet it. Retweeting helps. It gets more eyes on it. A lot of people who follow you on Twitter or X that don't follow me. Also, on Facebook, please share it on your Facebook page. Please repost the different links and things like that to help us grow. Well, that's it for this episode of the Justasia Podcast. My name is Kevin O'Shea. I'm a Canadian who is living and working in Penang, Malaysia. I've been in South Korea. I've lived in Japan and China, now Malaysia. Uh, Thank you so much for supporting the podcast. Thank you so much for being such an awesome audience. You guys are amazing and supportive, and I really do appreciate it. And uh, let's help grow the podcast moving forward. Um, I appreciate everything you can do to help that. All right. Well, that does it for another episode of the Just Asia podcast. Wherever you are in the world, I hope you're happy. I hope you're healthy. And I'll be talking to you again real soon. Bye.